it. <laughs> All right, good morning. Um, if you weren't here last week, uh, it's good to be back. Good to see everybody again. Uh, we just got back from Peru. My wife and our uh, bunch of Africans came back, right? Our Af- I mean, our African team had a great time, and we don't know exactly when, but we're going to schedule um, a missions night in a couple of weeks after our Mackinac Island team gets back, and we're going to celebrate what God did uh, through our missions this summer, and anybody who wants to come with us, we're going to be able to share some stories, we're going to worship the Lord, we're going to give thanks for all the lives that he touched through us and through our missions this summer, and so the Peruvian team, the African team, and the island team, woo, will have a chance to share and celebrate and just give God thanks for what he did, and not just through us, but in us. And that's one of the things I want to encourage all of you to do is at one point in time, uh, start saving your money, be praying for God to open the door for you to go to a missions trip uh, with us. You need to do this. At least once in your life, you need to get out of this country and go to another country and just experience it because it's not just what you will be able to do with God's help. It's what God will do in you that will change your life too, okay? So start saving now. We're, we're looking already for next summer and some ideas that we have. Um, and so I don't, we don't have any announcements to make right now, but we're going to be doing something, okay? We got a couple of ideas cooking. But I'm glad to be with you, and we're here talking about changing the world. Come on. <laughs> okay. I can see you. I don't wear these every week. Once in a while, I pull them out so I can see how you guys are doing in the back rows. I got you. I got you. So let's change the world. Let's go change the world. And if, if God has done anything in your life, you have something to offer, you know? And that's the whole point of this is that we need God to do something in our lives, all right? We need God's love to first transform us, set us free, you know, and, and do something alive in us. Then we have a story coming off the missions trip. You know, for me, just re- reignited that simplicity of sharing with people what God has done in your life. And we don't need to go uh, on an airplane or, or on a boat to an island to do that. We have people around us that God has planted us near to share our story with them. And it's just our story. What has God done in our lives? And as I was thinking about this, um, this verse came out, Ephesians 2.22, and it was our verse from last week that I asked you to meditate on and memorize, and it's talking to us. It's not talking to a single person. It's talking to the church at Ephesus, or let's call it the church, you know, uh, in Montrose or in Genesee County or whatever, and it's, it's a plural uh, verse. It says, and in him in Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is super exciting. God is bringing us together, building us together so that he can dwell here among us. And when God's presence is dwelling among us, that is the, that is the, the difference maker in anybody who comes close to, to God's presence. It's, uh, I was reading in the Psalms today, uh, this morning, Psalm 108, I thought, thought this was interesting Verses uh, 12 and 13, uh, it says here, Give us aid against the enemy, for the help of man is worthless. Anybody agree? Okay, the help of man is worthless. 
with God, with God, we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies. So the help of man is worthless, but when God's presence is on your life, you've got victory, okay? And people in this world, they don't need uh, you to convince them. They don't need a, a, a better you uh, they don't need man's effort, man's charisma, man's opinions. This world, when you're in trouble, when you're lost, when you're broken, you need God. You need God's presence. And we have the great high privilege of being the temple of God's presence, the house in which God dwells. So where we go, we take God. This is the exciting thing about this series is that we're talking about how amazing our purpose in life is, that we are the temple of the presence of God. We have the greatest privilege on earth. We get to take God to people, his presence. Not just um, a verse, not just like a doctrine or an argument. We take the presence, the presence of God. It's different than religion. It's different than an answer. We're bringing the presence of God that just trumps, it just melts confusion, doesn't it? Just swallows up darkness. And, and, And God can do anything in a moment when, he, when he's there. When you encounter the presence of God, you'll be changed, right? And that's what we want here. I hope that you felt the presence of God this morning in this place. I did. And that's what I want. That's what I need. That's what I desire. And so somehow God is calling us together, and we all have a part in this. We all have a, a particular you know, uh, contribution to building a place where God dwells. And last week I was talking about how I think it's important to look at the Old Testament temple structure and the patterns that God has laid out because the whole purpose of the temple was to get closer to God's presence. And God said, I want you to build a sanctuary for me so that I can dwell among you. God wants to be among us. God wants to dwell in us. He wants to fill us. He wants to be with us. I don't know if you've ever had so much respect or awe of a a certain person in your life, and you're just like, oh, if I could just meet them, if I could just shake their hand, if I could just be with them. When we were in Peru, Peru, we were at the stadium event, and I don't know, I don't remember the guy's name, but um, they had the guy who won the Trujillo uh, Idol Contest, you know, American Idol? Well, they had a Trujillo Idol Contest. So they had this guy who was a pretty good singer. He was a pretty handsome-looking guy, almost as good-looking as me. And he had, you know, he had the look. He had the shades. He had the whatever, just everything about him was like, everything was just perfectly trimmed and tanned and whatever, right? So he was like this rock star kind of guy, wasn't he? And all the girls, all the people are like, oh, oh, oh. And then he comes around backstage, and our whole team, we had a, we had a, a secret spot behind the stage. And so we were eating lunch or something, dinner, uh, between the whole event because it was like a five-hour event, you know. So they said, you guys, come on back. We got to get lunch. So we go back there while this guy's singing. Well, he's done. He comes back to his secret spot behind the stage. And all the kids are like, ah, like hanging over the rails trying to get to him. And he's getting all these selfies with all these people. And I'm like, I'm getting closer, getting closer. I'm like, hey, I might want to. I might want to get to meet this guy, you know? And so some of the people from our team are getting closer, and then finally he would turn around like, ah, and then I got, a, I got a selfie with this guy. I don't even know what his name is. <laughs> uh, 
But you know what? I mean, I, I feel that at times, you know, in life, like, oh, I would love to meet so-and-so. I'd love to be close to so-and-so. I wish I could be on their team. I wish I could be with them. And you've got the greatest person in the universe that has picked you. He's picked you to be his place. What's the hip word for that? Like his crib. No? That's not a good word? His pad. You're God's crib. He hangs out with you. No? His pad. His pad. And, and what does that look like? Seriously, what does that mean? What does that look like? We're not talking about religion. We're actually talking about the presence of God. It's the, it's the intangible thing that you know when he's there in a special way and just, you just feel his presence. You know he's there and you know he's touching hearts and you're speaking on his behalf or you're touching on his behalf or you're serving on his behalf or the words coming out of your mouth you know are from him because you're like, well, these saints are just going right into this person's heart right now. I can tell that this is God. God is here. He's doing something. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. And how do we learn how to be good hosts of heaven? How do you learn how to be a good host of heaven? So think about this. Let's think about uh, if you ever had someone over to your home. How many of you have had someone over for dinner or a guest and you've had them over into your home? Okay, let's think about that for a second. What does that look like when someone arrives at your home, when someone arrives at my home, uh, you know, it's like, okay, there's a whole different set of, uh, you know, behaviors. You know, you give your kids the look like, okay, you, know, you guys, there's someone over here, okay. <laughs> and you start picking things up real quick, and your attention goes to the person that is in your home. They're your guest. And you begin to think about, what, what can I do to make them feel comfortable? Uh, I wonder if they would like a drink. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let them sit in my chair. I'm going to start serving their needs. You got a chair? <laughs> and, and so you, you're, everything is different. You're, you're thinking about this, this guest. How do I serve them? How do I be a good host? Let them, you know, get the food first and you're talking to them, and you're asking them questions about their life, and, and it's all different, right? Listen, you are a host of heaven. What if someone came over to your house, and you didn't attend to them at all, and you just say, eh, sit wherever you want, and you just go about your business, and you just act like they're not there? Would we do that to somebody? No, but you are the temple that God's presence dwells in you, and honestly, I'm not trying to beat anybody up here, but honestly, some of us don't host God's presence very well. We're, we're too busy with our own agenda, and we're living through our life, a, a large amount of our life, where we're just thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about what we want to do, or what we need to do, or what problems we've got to solve, which is kind of funny, because with man, man's help is worthless, okay, but we still think we can figure it all out. Anyway, so we're living life, and, and the idea here is that God wants to be in you and his presence upon you all the time, and when he is, your life has great significance. It will change the world. It will change you, 
Because instead of being filled with fear, the Bible says perfect love does what to fear? Cast it out. Big old boot. Just kicks it right out. When you are worshiping the Lord, when your attention is on heaven, when your thoughts are on God, your problems get smaller, God's power gets bigger, right? Uh, faith gets bigger, fear gets swallowed up. Your attention goes from earth and temporary to eternal and, and, and God and heaven uh, to the promises of God, not the problems of life. You know what I'm saying? And it changes you. It actually changes your whole day, your attitude, the way you interact with people, your, your approach to, to anything that comes at you. When you're in that place of worship and honoring God, and alive in his presence. But when, when God wants to dwell with us and we just shove him to the side, it's like someone sitting in your living room awkwardly on the couch as you're just walking through doing your normal day. It would be weird. That's called awkward, right? To just act like everything's normal when someone's in your home. But you are the home of God. This is pretty exciting. And the, the potential is unbelievable. That's why I say that the church is the hope of the world because the church, while it's people, it's not a building or organization, while it's people, we have, as the Bible says, a treasure in us. Although we are jars of clay, we are very fragile. We're not very impressive on the outside. We're just made of clay. But there's an inner treasure that has filled our jars and it is the presence of God. And to be poured out, uh, what we want poured out of our lives, what we want people drinking from our lives or experiencing from contact with our lives is the presence of God, not anger and bitterness and pain and hopelessness and darkness and evil and gossip. And we don't want that pouring out. We have something different. We once were in darkness, but God has plucked us out, plucked us out of darkness, right? And grafted us into his kingdom of light. And so there's light that comes out of us. There's a message of hope. There's a joy and a freedom that we can have and it can be real and it can overflow to those around us. So I'm, I'm thinking about the temple and you may say, why, why would you go to the Old Testament temple? That is the most boring part of the Bible that I know of is the temple and the sacrifices and the rules and the regulations and the size of the stones and the whatever. Who cares? Well, who cares? I care, and God cares. <laughs> you know why? Because God made that for a purpose. It says this in the Bible, that God gave Moses the details of the tabernacle, and then David said, the Lord, or the Spirit of God, gave me the plans for all of this for the tabernacle, and if we are now the, not the tabernacle, the temple, if we are now the temple, and God told these guys, this is the pattern to get close to my presence. This is what you need to do for me to dwell among you. Then how many of you think that there's something for us to learn if we are now the temple for God to dwell richly among us? And it's very simple. The three things that I want to point out to you is it's worship, it's surrender, and it's anointing. That's the, the, the steps of the temple, and that's the steps for you and for me. How do I become a good host of the presence of God? At the gates of the temple were the worshipers. David assigned 24 different worship teams. The Bible talks about over 4,000 worshipers 
that were assigned to worship at the gates. And they would do sacrifices from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. So from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., there were worship teams at the gates of the temple grounds. Before you got into the temple, you had to go through worship. From a long distance away, you'd hear the drums banging, the cymbals, the singers blaring, trumpets blowing. You'd hear the harps, the lyres, you know, the lyres I think are guitars, and cymbals and drums and all, and all the singers. And they were assigned, and they had all these worship teams. For six hours every day, there was worship going on on the Temple Mount. Isn't that awesome? And it was at the gates. That's why, as I said the last couple of weeks, David said this, because he's the one who got all these plans from God. He wrote this in one of his psalms. He says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. He's talking about the temple, and he says, this is how we come into the presence of God. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we begin to praise this morning, um, we're not just singing songs, and we're not just striking chords. We are doing something spiritual. When we begin to lift our hearts we begin to give the sacrifice of praise. We may be tired. We may have problems. We may have other things that are pressing on us. But when we stop, we honor the Sabbath. We come together and assemble. We begin to take the breath God gave us. We take the energy that we have in these bodies. And we say, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to give thanks to God. As we do this spiritual activity, then there's a spiritual phenomena that happens. The presence of God comes in a dimension uh, that, that affects us as a corporate body. It's, a, it's awesome. And when God's presence shows up, and this is an individual application you might want to consider, I thought about this, and, and uh, Janice was alluding to it. If we're body, soul, and spirit, and we're spirit, and she, she said we're one-third God, in other words, the spirit part of us is God, the ruach of God, uh, and I, I had this revelation years ago, what, can sickness dwell in the presence of God? Are you kidding me? Can bondage exist in the presence of God? You see the revelation, the more you begin to understand who you are, you say, well, hold on a minute. My, actually, my bloodline has been changed, right? My blood. I am now a child of God, and the blood of Jesus Christ, right, now flows in my veins. That's how I look at it. And so when I attack sickness and disease, I'm like, hey, hold on a minute. What do you think's going on here? Blood? You are the blood. You know, I have the blood of the Son of God. Health and wholeness and vitality. And you see, God is with us and he's for us. And there's so much for us to lay hold of, all the promises of God. So let's talk about that real quickly in review is worship is at the gates. And I want to I just remind you, you and I are designed to worship God. We were made to worship God. You will see in all ancient cultures an idea of worship. Everybody's looking for something to worship. We, there's something inside of us. We have to wor- we're going to worship something. We're going to worship an idol, ourselves, or we're going to wor- worship the one true God. We were born and designed to worship God. We are now a temple of the Holy Spirit, and worship in the temple was at the gates. And worship for you and for me needs to be at the gates of our lives. What does that mean? For me, I'm still trying to think that through, but one part of it that I've been thinking about is at the front and the very first impression of my life, there needs to be an attitude of worship and acknowledgement of God. When people 
begin to approach me as they begin to approach the temple. They should not see a worship of self. They should not experience, uh, you know, any idol worship that I am I'm more, something else is more important to me. They should, ex- they should begin to start to, to see that I am a lover of God. On the very first impression, on the gates of my life, I should have a, an attitude of worship and humility before God. The praise of God should be on my lips. I shouldn't be a, afraid or fearful, but I need to be just a lover of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when I was looking at some of my notes that I didn't get to last week, I wanted to just repeat a couple of things that I, I didn't actually say. So, it's kind of funny thinking about it. I'm going to repeat something I didn't get a chance to say. Okay, so a couple of statements. Worship is living in humble recognition and submission to God as our ultimate authority. Okay, this is a whole attitude. Worship is not 30 minutes on a Sunday morning when, the, when Caleb starts singing or something like that, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it's an attitude and it's a lifestyle and it's a permeated kind of vibe that comes from our life, worship, okay? And, and it should be, first of all, humble recognition and submission to God as my ultimate authority. I, my, the way that I make decisions in my life is worship. If I am honoring God and I'm living my life according to God's ways, that's worship. I'm honoring him. He's my authority. I'm, the reason I'm making those decisions is because I'm humbled to him, humble and I'm recognizing he's God, I'm not, his ways work, mine don't. That's, that's, what we're, that's part of worship, right? Obedience. Worship is living with our attention on God. Worship is focusing on eternity, not earth. Worship is prioritizing God's kingdom, not my kingdom. And so it's this whole attitude that, that kind of just, it's a vibe that comes from us wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And when I'm doing this, when I'm thinking about God, when I'm focused on God, when I'm humbled and recognizing God, and I'm seeking first his way, then it has all these other uh, residual effects upon me and upon what I'm doing. And I'm just going to read some of those things. We shift our focus from here to there. That's one thing, that, and that's a huge one. We just change our focus. That's a big one. We change our focus from self to the Spirit of God. We're, we're listening to what God wants to do. Um, we, we change it from me to God. We shift our dependence from self to our Savior. We magnify God, and as I said earlier, our problems begin to shrink. We draw on God, we draw on his presence, and the Bible says when we come near to God, when we pursue God, when we draw on God, that he draws near to us. And, and our, our day begins to be more filled with God. We actually can sense his presence in what we're doing. It says uh, we experience the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And some of the, my favorite things are when we refocus our attention on God, on what God is about, what God is doing, what God thinks, what God is saying, then we are more spiritually attentive to the needs around us that God wants to meet. Let me say that again. We're more spiritually attentive to the needs around us that God wants to meet. I can look around and I can come up with things that I think I should do, but what about finding out what God wants to do? And when, when you're worshiping God and you're in that, in that uh, 
place of hosting this presence, God goes, hey, he gives us a soft elbow, and he points the need out. But now it's God saying, I want to meet that need. I want, to, I want you to just encourage that person, pray for that person, help that person, speak to that person. And now we are doing exactly what we were made to do. Take the presence of God to, to, the, to the world, and he, he is now in charge. But we don't do that if we have pride, because pride takes over. Pride takes control. Pride holds on to the steering wheel. Pride thinks it knows better. We don't do that if we're busy with our agenda, if we're focused on what we need to do, because we're not listening. It's like we're on a different radio station. We're just not paying attention. We're not sensitive to what God is doing. And so this is what I'm, I'm sharing with you because God wants us to go and change the world, but we don't have to do anything. All we gotta do is just worship him and love him and let him move through us. And life is not about getting to the finish line, paying all your bills and have enough money to, you know, buy a casket, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's, that's not what the point of life is. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be, it goes pretty quick, as far as I could tell. It's going pretty fast. And, and so what is life about? It's, it's that we are the temple of the presence of God. And we get the short window of time to partner with him in, in taking his presence to the world. Uh, it's just an amazing adventure. Um, so let's talk about the second one, which is surrender. Now, in the temple, you would come through the gates of worship, and then you would enter a courtyard, and then in front of the actual temple proper, where the, only the priests could go in, there was the altar, and you would bring a sacrifice to God. In the Old Testament, you'd bring an animal. Maybe it was a bird or, uh, or a, a, a lamb or a goat or something like that, and you would bring the animal to the priest, and you wouldn't actually get to go into the altar area, but you would bring it to the priest. You'd lay your hands on, on that animal, and the idea was that your sin and your unworthiness and, and your sin was being placed upon the sacrifice, the animal, and the animal would then be sacrificed by the priest. Its blood would be shed and that was a temporary covering of your fault or of your sin. It wasn't a permanent removal of sin, uh, but how many of you think you wouldn't have a whole lot of animals left in your farm uh, during your teenage years? Okay, I mean, oh, man, I did it again. <laughs> Come on, let's go. You know, uh, you like sin, and you have to get it covered. All right, not a good deal. Uh, but... You may ask, why, why, why all of that? In Hebrews 9.22, we read, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Uh, sin, as we learn from the scriptures, the wages of sin is death, but there's good news. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we look way at the beginning of creation, we see the first sin. First sin was Adam and Eve in the garden. And immediately, without a whole lot of attention to it, we see an animal sacrifice if you look closely. There was a temporary covering that God made. The Bible says that God covered Adam and Eve in animal skin. Where did the animal skin or the animal fur come from? From an animal. So the very first sin resulted in bloodshed of a temporary covering of an animal. And that skin was used to cover 
the nakedness of Adam and Eve, but it really symbolized to cover their sin temporarily. And so for centuries, mankind only had temporary Band-Aids. Now, you know, a Band-Aid is, is great, you know. A child bangs her knee, gets hurt, and, and they're bleeding. All they got to do is get a Band-Aid, right, moms? It's great. Band-Aids are awesome. But the Band-Aids don't heal the wound. And uh, these, these things didn't take care of the real problem. Thank God that our bodies heal themselves, but Band-Aids aren't medicine. They're just a covering to protect, right? Uh, and yet, in the Bible, it says that this was a Band-Aid. This was a temporary covering. And so, um, Hebrews 10, 4 says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, only to cover it temporarily. So, we see this when John the Baptist uh, was talking to his hearers. He saw Jesus walking by, and it says that John saw Jesus coming, and he pointed at him, and he exclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God represented the whole sacrificial system. The Lamb was the animal that was chosen during the Passover, remember? And that was the blood that was shed, and, it was, and the blood was over the uh, door and on the sides, and it was dripping down, and there's a puddle of blood probably in the floor, and it kind of forms like a cross, in my opinion, right? You got the blood here dripping down, and you got the blood on the sides, right? And the Bible says anybody who was under the blood, under the covering of the blood, was passed over from the judgment of God. And so... Now we see Jesus coming as the Lamb of God who didn't come to cover our sin, but take it away. Come on, take it away. And so he did with his blood was shed. It says here in Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement or covering through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And 1 John 1.7 says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Aren't you glad that Jesus is our perfect solution to the sin problem? He doesn't just cover it, he takes it away. He's removed it from us as far as the east is from the west. He's buried it on the ocean floor. Uh, he's chosen to forget it altogether, and he has washed us as clean, cleaner than the white snow. We are clean. It's forgotten, it's buried, and it's removed. How many of you are thankful for that? Right? I say this all the time because a lot of us struggle with this. The only one who remembers our sin is Satan and you. And God doesn't. So when you're reminded of your failures, when you begin to feel condemned, when you feel unworthy, it's not coming from God. That's not how God works. For a lot of years, I thought that's how God works. I thought that was the Holy Spirit's job. Holy Spirit doesn't come to convict you of sin, uh, of your sin. It comes to convict you of your need for Christ, the sin of not believing in Jesus. The only sin that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit convicting people of is their need for a Savior, their need for Christ. After that, he convicts us of who we are now. We're a son and daughter of God. We're forgiven. And when you understand what that means, it sets you free from sin. doesn't give you a license for sin. It sets you free. He takes it away. And you begin to believe who you are, then you begin to act like who you are. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. You've been forgiven. And so 
Without rectifying that sin issue in our lives, we can't have that fellowship with God. So how do we access this forgiveness? It's one word. I, I believe this is one of the best words we can, we can re- remember. It's surrender. Here's the deal. A prideful person cannot be saved until they lay their pride down. This is what, this is what every single one of us has either done or are doing or still need to, needs to do, and it's this. We need to recognize we have sinned and that God loves us and he paid for our sin and we have to humble ourselves. We have to surrender to him by faith to reach out and say, I need a savior. I need you, God. I have been in the wrong. I have sinned. I've sinned against you. And, and, I, and there is no solution that I can come up with on my own. I have to humble myself, surrender myself, and yield to God. That's called faith. I must trust in him, not myself. And so you can't do that if you're a pride, prideful person. You can't do that if you think you've got the answer or if you can dig yourself out of that problem. You can't. And so we need to surrender. Now, if that is the way that we enter into the family of God, how, how else can we then continue to in, be inhabited by his presence without surrender? We can't surrender once, get our ticket to heaven, and then get, get prideful again and go on our, our way, just living our life our, on our terms. doesn't work that way. It's, the Bible says God resists the proud. It's like a, the Heisman Trophy. You know what the Heisman Trophy looks like? Like this. And he's got a stiff arm. And so it's like you've got pride. God stiff arms you. He's not helping you. He's not with you. He's not going to endorse your arrogance or your pride. You're you're just through the circuit breaker. And God's presence isn't, isn't dwelling richly within you when you are arrogant and you're full of pride. You see what I'm saying? So now we have this two, these two things so far. Worship, which is a whole lifestyle attitude, all of that at the gates of our lives, all around us, wherever we go. Uh, there's a recognition of God. There's humility, humility before God. There's a praise of God. There's thanksgiving. I'm thinking about him. I'm honoring him. I'm attentive to him. I'm just worshiping him. I'm thankful for him. And, and then there's also this idea of surrender, that I'm actually willing to surrender to God's agenda for my life. Not my agenda, but his agenda. My agenda a couple weeks ago would be to sleep on the airplane. God's agenda was for me to have this amazing conversation with this person next to me. Do you see the difference? So God begins to whisper to you, and, and you say, no, no, God, I, I have this I, would, I, I need to do, or that I'd rather to do, or this is more important to me. And then we are not surrendered. And so the presence of God is kind of like, you know, it's cut off. And now we're just doing our thing. So listen, this is the temple. Remember the pattern God gave for the temple, for people to get into his presence, for his presence to dwell among them. It was worship, and it was a humble recognition of surrender. I need you, God. You're my Savior. You're in charge. I humble myself before you. You guys with me on this? So these are total attitude approaches to our day. That's why um, our Verse for this week, it's a very popular one, but it's the best one for this topic, Romans 12, 1. So let's memorize this together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves or your bodies 
as a living sacrifice. This is the sacrifice we bring. We don't bring goats and birds and things here on Sunday mornings to get close to God. But if you want to get close to God, you know what you need to bring? You need to bring a surrendered heart. You need to bring yourself. You are the sacrifice. You choose to surrender. You choose to give yourself to God. And the irony, as Jesus pointed out to us, is if you surrender your life to me, you'll find it. You'll be alive. You'll be filled. I'll fill you. I'll fill you. But if you try to save your life, I got that. I want to protect myself. You'll lose it. You won't have life. You'll, you'll wake up and you'll go to bed. You'll pay some bills. You'll wake up again. You'll go through some motions. You'll, you'll be a, this, this human doer, but you won't be a human being. You won't be alive. You won't be thriving, right? You'll just be going through it, making it to the end. What's the point of that? You got so much, such a greater destiny in front of you than that. You, you get to house the presence of God. Anything's possible where you go. If you are worshiping him, attentive to him, uh, humble before him, surrendered to him, you, that is your mission in life. Did you know that your mission in life is to be a host of heaven on the earth? You are a conduit to bring heaven to earth, to bring heaven to somebody. Remember the first person I ever led to the Lord? Was, I think I was 17 years old. And this is the first one that I remember I, I, uh, I led to the Lord. It was at a camp. And I was talking to this person, and they actually were listening. A seven, another 17-year-old was listening to a 17-year-old. Is that a miracle? We're talking about God and stuff like that. And eventually, she decided to give her life to Christ. And when we got done you know, praying, praying together, inside of me, I was like, oh, my word, that, that was amazing. To be able to be a conduit of the beginning of a whole new life for this person. It's like, is there anything more miraculous than that? That a, a life can be changed in a moment for eternity, not just for earthly, eternity, right? Yeah, it starts with a moment. It starts with a God moment. It wasn't me. It wasn't Mike Benson, you see. It, it's a moment of the presence of God that becomes real to each and every one of us. And there's a conduit. There's a person. But it's God who works through that person. It's God who saves, right? And God is in you. And anything is possible. And God is wanting his church on the earth, in Peru, and Rwanda, and Mackinac Island, and Montrose, and Chesney and Clown, Burton, and Chesney, and Flint, and all those places we're from, Mount Morris. He wants us, the church, to house and host his presence and take it to the people around us. When will the church wake up to her destiny? When it wakes up, if we're still alive and we're part of that process, when we truly wake up to that, it's going to be amazing. Worldwide revival. And then Jesus is going to come back. It's pretty important stuff. Jesus is coming back, you know, when his church uh, has made his enemies his footstool. 
So we got some work to do. Not everybody's going to be saved, but God wants everyone to be saved. But Jesus is waiting for the gospel to be preached in all the earth, to every tribe, every tongue, every group, and you're part of his preaching team. You have good news to preach. You have good news to share, right? Can I get an amen? Come on, and if we get a couple more teammates, there'll be less work for us to do, <laughs> right? Snowball effect. Building the team, building the family, one person at a time as God directs us. God is in you. You're called to house his presence. You are made to be a worshiper, and you're made to depend on him, not yourself. So here's a challenge as I wrap our service up, and worship team, if you guys want to come, I ask them to just lead us as a closing response to today's message, a very simple song. It's a hymn, an old hymn of the church, I Surrender All. I Surrender All. Love it. Super simple. And I'm asking for you to consider this morning to renew your surrender to God. Not just, yes, I want to be saved surrender, but Lord, I want, I want you to be in the driver's seat the rest of today. And then when I wake up tomorrow, you know, I want to surrender to you, even in the midst of my job, even in the midst of, you know, the Cheerios on the floor because of my kids or whatever. Got an amen over here. You know, even in the midst of grocery shopping or getting gas or doing errands or working outside or doing whatever we do, even in the midst, I'm talking about today as a response, I surrender to you. I want to be attentive to you. Okay, how many of you honestly believe God's plan for your day tomorrow is better than your plan for your day tomorrow? Anybody believe that? Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the practical American, you know, lifestyle. How do we take the presence of God as an American into our week? How do we do that? Worship, be thoughtful and, and focused on him, and be surrendered, Lord, whatever, whatever you have for me. And so I put together a real simple prayer, and uh, I think it's in your log notes. Let me see if it is. Yeah, it's on the back side of your log notes. So each day, this mor- each morning this, this uh, week, I'm challenging you to pray this prayer or prayer something like this, okay? And maybe you already do this. Um, so I'll, I'll read it for you. It's up here. God, and it's kind of like Romans 12, 1 with a little extra commentary, right? God, in view of your mercy and love toward me, I offer my body as a living sacrifice to you. May I be holy and pleasing to you today. You see, um, holy means to be separated for a special cause. You, you are called to be holy, not perfect. That's different. So a lot of people think holy means perfection. It's not what that, it means you are special. You have a special purpose today. You have a special purpose tomorrow. You have a holy purpose. You've been called by God, filled with his presence. There are people God is waiting for you to bring him to tomorrow and tonight. And so, Lord, that's what I say. I, may I be holy and pleasing to you today. Dwell in me. Live through me. I give my attention to you, my focus to you, my will to you, my heart to you. As many great men and women of the past, we say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. 
they would say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, I'm all yours. May your presence in me impact everyone I encounter today and have a life-giving effect on each one. Help me to hear and obey your promptings, to see and meet the needs you show me, and to live loved by you and to love through you today. How many of you think we could pray that prayer this week? You willing to do that? It's a surrender prayer. It's a faith prayer. It's, it's pretty scriptural. And so let's stand together. Can you keep that up there? And let's pray this prayer together as we close. And then let's sing, I surrender all. And this morning, if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is a great day to be born again. You need him. You cannot be saved without him. You need his blood that's been shed for you to take away permanently, once and forever, uh, your sin problem. And if, and if you want to get right with God, this is a great opportunity to do it. Just pray this prayer with us, sing this song, and give your life to Jesus. Just do it. Lord, I surrender all to you. It doesn't, you don't have to know all the answers here. You just need to take that first step and say, God, I'm yours. I'm yours, okay? Let's pray this prayer out loud together if it's in your heart, okay? Ready? God, in view of your mercy and love toward me, I offer my body as a living sacrifice to you. May I be holy and pleasing to you today. Dwell in me and live through me. I give my attention to you, my focus to you, my will to you, my heart to you. Here I am, Lord. I'm all yours. May your presence in me impact everyone I encounter today and have a life-giving effect on each one. Help me to hear and obey your promptings, to see and meet the needs you show me, and to live loved by you and to love through you today. Amen. Lord, we just, we do long for your presence in our lives. As we sing this song, Lord, as we worship and as we surrender, Lord, just fill us afresh and anew. Let us be reminded you are indeed with us. There is nothing like your presence. Lord, we are the church. We don't have to limit your presence to this building. We get to go uh, filled with your presence into this whole week. Lord, fill us. Fill us, Lord. We need you. We need you. Thank you, Jesus. And all to Jesus I surrender.